0: Amen. You can be seated. How's everybody doing this morning? Y'all good? Y'all excited? Good to hear. Good to hear. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 17. We'll get there in just a few moments. Uh, So good to be here with you this morning. I know I've been kind of out of pocket a lot lately. Traveling and getting ready for Journey Church's launch and things of that nature. So I appreciate your your patience with, with me and my family, and um, just love being here uh, this morning to preach preach God's word. If you're joining us online, thank you so much for joining us. I saw back there a while ago that Melissa Smith is watching this morning. So hey, Melissa, and so in cafe, man, we love you guys. Uh, thank you so much for for joining us this morning as well. First uh, Samuel chapter seventeen, very familiar story. But stories have a way of of teaching us, inspiring us, convicting us, showing us things about ourselves that we didn't know, or maybe we actually did know. They have a way of digging down into our our thoughts and our dreams. I want you to think of a great story that you've heard recently. Think of something that you've heard. Think of a a TV show that you've watched that, that just grabbed you. Think of why it was impactful. What What great book have you read lately that just kind of grabbed hold of you and wouldn't let go? What movie have you watched that that pulled you into its narrative? What, What made you cry? What made you laugh? What made you get angry? Stories have a lot of power, don't they? The stories that you heard from your grandparents growing up, the stories that your mom used to tell you on the bedside, Um, the things that you've heard, the things that you've read, the things that you've seen. They have a lot of power. Uh, Just last weekend, my wife and I were in in New York City for our our 15th anniversary, just enjoying the city, and we went to the 9-11 Memorial and Museum. How many of you have ever been to the 9-11 Memorial or Museum? I want to show you a picture real quick. Um, We were walking through the museum, and and I encourage you, man, if you ever get a chance to go, uh, you need to go. Uh, Number one, it's, it's, it's a... It's an incredible place, incredible stories you begin to hear as you talk to people. But we were walking in the the museum, which is actually below uh, the old trade towers. And they have footers and and stairs and things like that. that are still there from the old World Trade Center. But I walked into this room. And this room right here will, will get you more than any room in the place. Because this is the faces of every single person that died that day. As you walk through, there's, it's, a, it's a giant room, you go around this, this area, you can actually go to screens so you can touch the screens that, that will tell you more about these people. So you just, you just tap on a, on a face and they'll give you more, more pictures of their family. It'll give you stories, it'll, it'll give you, you know, how they grew up, it'll give you all their history. But you're walking through this and, and you realize that, you know, Most of us in this room lived during that time. We watched it on the on TV. We sat on the couch. We were at work and we couldn't take our eyes off of what was going on in the country. And and yes, we were part of that day, but but we didn't know these people. And when you walk into this room, all of a sudden you start putting faces to the stories. You put faces to the to the people. And you start hearing these stories. You start reading these these plaques and these these screens, and you're like, oh my goodness. And all around us, people are just weeping. Stories have incredible, incredible power. I'm going to show you one more picture this morning. And this is fiction, but I'm sure a few people in this room have, have seen this, this TV show. Raise your hand if you've ever seen This Is Us. Okay, number of people in this room. This is a, a popular TV show these days, and this is a phenomenon in our culture right now. My wife and I started watching this show, and we'd sit there on the couch, and uh, for some reason, every single episode, I would be looking over at my wife going, why are you crying so much? (laughs) She's like, I've never cried like this before in a TV show. I'm like, Seinfeld never got her like that, you know? So, but this is us, and some of you that have seen this show, you know exactly what I'm talking about, that a TV show that is fake, all of a sudden becomes real to us because it, it... it's a story, and we see ourselves in that. We see our family and our crazy family in these stories. Pastor Tim will talk about this show, and he'll just say, you know, that one or this one or that one. And his sister, Tracy, will get upset, and like, they have a name. Their name's are Randall, okay, uh, like they're real people. But it just goes to show you that stories, real or fake, are very powerful to us. So today as we get into scripture, this, this story in 1 Samuel chapter 17, I want to remind you that this is a story that is very familiar to church people. So if, you're, if you've grown up in church or you've been around church for very long at all, um, you've heard the story of David and Goliath. A lot of people that have never been to church before have heard the story of David and Goliath. You've at least heard the idea of David facing a giant. It's a story that we've heard over and over again. They even made a VeggieTales story of David and Goliath where a giant cucumber comes after him. And it scared some of our teenagers. I heard a story not too long ago about Chase DeVries being terrified of the giant cucumber. And I was like, he probably wouldn't be scared of the actual giant, but a giant cucumber got him. But the thing is, is this, is this is a story that is very familiar to us, but it's a story that we need to to reintroduce. It's a story that we need to look at with fresh eyes this morning. So, what I'm going to do this morning is share with you some insights that I got from this story. But you need to understand, as, as you look at it with fresh eyes, you may not get the same insights that I have got. You may get brand new ones for yourself. So, I encourage you to open your heart, open your mind this morning to a story that's very familiar. And we need to, to dive in and see what, what God has for us. But the story starts like this. It starts with, with the, the Philistine nation and the Israelite nation fighting each other. And they were gathered on these two hillsides. And I looked up these hillsides just to see how giant these mountains were and how deep the valley was and all that kind of stuff. And I realized that the, this, these mountaintops or these hillsides in this valley looks a lot like Tennessee. You go to like eastern Tennessee or eastern Kentucky, you see these just rolling hills. And on the side of these rolling hills, they would gather and just stare at each other and and shout insults at each other. And then one day, this, this giant man, this giant of a man, walks into the valley named Goliath. This man named Goliath walks into this valley and looks at the nation of Israel and says, I defy your God. You are nothing. You're a bunch of dogs. Send a man to fight me. And if I kill him, you will be our slaves. But if you kill me, we will be your slaves. So you kind of got the scene. You got these two little hillsides. You got this, this shallow little valley there with this giant man looking up at this nation of Israel going, bring it. Bring it on. I can take any man that you have, any warrior that you think is tough enough, any person that you think is bad enough that that can take me down. I will destroy them. And day after day, these insults came. And it's really interesting. In verse number eight of chapter 17 of 1 Samuel, it says this, Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight? He called. I'm the Philistine champion, but you are only, only, okay? You're only the servants of God. Servants of Saul, choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then I will be your, we will be your slaves. If I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. And when Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. We're going to get back to this just in a few minutes, but you need to understand this picture in your mind. Uh, The Bible tells us that Saul was a giant man himself. He was probably somewhere around seven feet tall and he was a warrior himself. Bible says that he was somewhere around head and and shoulders above the rest of the Israelites. So this guy towered above his servants, towered above his army. And even he was terrified and scared. Even a man who was the king of a nation was terrified and scared. And I love the next two words in verse number 12. You got a whole nation of, of warriors, a whole army terrified. And the next two words, just like a great story would have, has a turn in it. And verse number 12 says, now... David, now David, comes on the scene. David, much like our teenage boys here, this would be like a Mason Willingham. Okay, this would be somebody like him. Stepping up, his dad says, you've kept the sheep all these, all these days. Now I need you to go check on your brothers. I want you to take them some food, some cheese and crackers, see how they're doing and, and, and send a report back to me. So David does exactly what his dad asked him to do. He got somebody to watch the sheep. He goes to the battlefield. David walks up on this, on this scene of what's going on. He walks into the, the, the tent area, the, the compound there, and the guys are getting ready for battle. They're getting ready for war. They're putting their swords on. They're getting their spears. They're putting their armor on, and they're talking a bunch of junk. They're like, we're going to get him today. We're going to face Goliath Day. We're going to take down the, the Philistine army today. We're going to go take care of business. And David sees what's going on, and then and then they start walking to the valley, walking to the hillsides. And David sees what's happening. They're standing on this hillside. Nobody's advancing. All of a sudden Goliath steps forward and he does what he does every single day. And the Israelites start shaking in their shaking in their armor. All you can hear is, is male you know, armor and, and helmets and stuff just rattling. <laughs> like the tin man. Terrified of what's what's up ahead. And David. Looks at this scene and is like, what in the world is going on here? How can you let this giant, how can you let this nation defy you like this? Do you not know who you are? You are the army of God. You are the people of the Lord. Why are you going to let this giant do this to you? This teenage boy stands in front of this army and says, somebody has to do something about this. So he gets this crazy idea as a Mason Mason Willingham type kid would do. Am I right? 14, 15, 16 year old teenage boy, a lot of testosterone, gets out there and says, I think I can take him. Now from a distance, you realize a giant still looks small, right? He's like, I could just see him going, he's only about that big. Yeah, he's not too bad. I can take care of him. So David starts talking this, this this plan up, and his brothers come to him and says, you're a fool. Who do you think you are? Why are you even out here? I, I know your heart. You're, you're just a prideful little kid. You think you're something. And they start just berating him right there in front of everybody. And David says, you know what? I've been taking care of my dad's sheep. When a lion came and tried to take a lamb, I took took the lion down. I killed the lion. When a bear came and attacked the sheep, I took care of the bear. And I'm pretty sure that God's going to take care of this giant. And I'm going to be the man who steps forward and does something about it because you guys are doing nothing. So King Saul says, Okay? This is our future here. But if if you're so confident, so sure about this thing, then go do it. So they start putting Saul's armor on him, give him a giant sword. And David's like, man, I've never worn this kind of stuff before. I don't know. I don't even know what to do with this. I've got a slingshot. He's like, get this stuff off of me. So you know the story. If you've heard it before, he picks up. Five smooth stones, puts them in his bag. Starts walking down that hillside. Remember, the hillside is just just a rolling hill. He starts walking down by himself, and he walks down into the valley, and he sees this giant. And this giant starts shooting taunts at him. My dog that you come up with me with a little stick. You know who are you? He says. David says today. Today God's going to take care of you. And he starts slinging that slingshot around and he lets it go. And where does the stone go? Between the eyes of Goliath. Hits him right between the eyes. And they say that a shot like that with somebody that was that good at a slingshot, which he, he would have been practicing every single day, a shot like that would be like a, a bullet to the brain. And Goliath pops forward and falls on the ground. And David gets on top of Goliath and the most, one of the most gruesome parts of the entire word of God, he picks up Goliath's sword, which was giant and heavy, and he just picks it up as far as he can go and, f- and cuts Goliath's head off. And he bends down and picks up Goliath's head and, and he shows it to the nation of Israel. And they start cheering and then he shows it to the nation of the Philistines. And they don't cheer. They run. And the battle was on. And King king david all of a sudden emerged Where people started seeing this this kid and the anointing that god had on his life of, of fulfilling god's purpose for him where fear wouldn't stop him where he just stepped into what god had for him it's an incredible day and around four thousand years later we start still talking about this story stories have power i don't know where you see yourself in that story many of you've heard it for years and years that's just another time you've heard it but I hope that you see it in a whole new light. And I want to share with you a few things that just really stood out to me. And I hope they stand out to you. And we're going to kind of go back through the passage. I'll read at the actual passage a little bit uh, this morning. But this is the first one. What shuts down the heart of most awakens the heart of a few. What shuts down the heart of most awakens the heart of a few. In verses 23 through 26, I want you to look at this. It says this, as he was talking with him, as David was talking with him, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. And as soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen the giant? the men asked. He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. And he will give that man one of his daughters for a wife. And the man's entire family will be exempt from paying taxes. Now, I don't know if it was the, the promise of a woman to marry or the promise of no more taxes that got David going. How many of you would be like, if the government say no more taxes in my whole life, you'd go for it. You'd be like, I'm going after this giant. I don't care. Um, And in verse 26, David asked the soldier standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? You see, in this world, God has purpose. And God has a purpose for every single one of us. Every follower of Christ, there's an incredible purpose on your life. It's a great commission. We're supposed to reach this world, advance the kingdom of God. But the thing is, is so many times when we're presented with the purpose or we're presented with the idea of trying to win people to to the Lord or or stepping into something that's uncomfortable, our hearts get afraid and we, we become fearful. And it shuts down the heart of most people. Most people are very comfortable just coming to church week after week and doing their thing. But the truth is that doesn't get the job done. That doesn't advance the kingdom of God like he asked us to advance it. And it shuts down our heart. But the thing is, what shuts down most people's heart awakens the heart of a few. David stepped into a scene where their hearts were completely shut down. They weren't budging. They were going to stand on that hillside until Jesus came the second time. Okay? They were going to stand there and let Goliath just shoot his taunts and defy and curse and whatever he wanted to do. But David sees this problem, sees this situation, knowing that something's got to be done. And it awakens something in his heart. He was no longer a a sheep herder. He was no longer just the youngest son of a big family. He was no longer a brother who was bringing a meal to to the other brothers. He became the man who was stepping into God's purpose for his life. And it awakened something inside of him where he said, I've got to do something about this. It was the purpose. It's the place that God calls you. And this is what advances the cause of Christ in the greatest way. Where you're sitting there, you see a problem, you see something in the world, you understand that we're supposed to advance the kingdom of God at your job, at your school, or your whatever. And something inside of you grows. Something inside of you awakens. It's the place that God calls you. Oftentimes, the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. It's where you see a problem in the world. You see hunger. You see, you know, uh, just neglect. You see something going on, and, and something awakes ins- inside of you, and it brings you the most joy, and they, and they collide. You love working with people, but you don't know how to work with people, so you, so you go to a Salvation Army, you go to a curbside, you go to, to plant a church, you go do this, and, and, and the two come together, and it's exactly where God wants you. I shared a story during graduate Commissioning service about a, a girl named Jenna Lee Nardella. She's the girl that started Bloodwater Mission. Her idea was to plant or to to um, to dig at least a thousand wells in a thousand villages in Africa. Now you got to understand something. She was 21 when she started this this nonprofit. 21 years old. But when she was in third grade. When she was in third grade she went with her parents to San Francisco and she's walking down the street in San Francisco and, and she comes across a homeless man. And this homeless man is, is saying with a sign, he says, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. He'd yell out to every single person that walked by, I'm hungry. And a third grade girl walks by and sees this sees this homeless man, thinking, He's hungry. Why are all these people walking past him doing nothing? So her and her mom go to to lunch, to a hamburger place, and and they order their hamburgers, and she sits there and just stares at her hamburger um, the whole time. And her mom's thinking, I know what she's thinking. So Jenna asks for a a, a to-go box. They they get a to-go box, and she's looked at her mom and says, I've got to go find that guy, third grade girl. So they walk around all the streets, go into all the alleys and and look around all the places in the surrounding area where the last time they saw this homeless man and they couldn't find him. And she talks about for the rest of her life. Now, she's 35 years old uh, now, and she's been doing this this work with Bloodwater for almost 15 years. But she said for the rest of the time, she started thinking that this this memory, this homeless man, this, this story was chasing after her in her memories. And she had to do something about it. So what she did is is began this idea of not letting those people go by without a voice. She had to be the voice for people with no voice. So then again, a driver, like how could she do that? And she came up with the idea and the heart and the passion to reach out and help the millions of people without clean water that are suffering and dying in Africa. And she gave her life to it. Where the world's deep hunger was and her greatest desire was, it met and created a purpose. So the thing is, is a a daunting task like that, something where we have to give ourselves to, she talks about in her book how she accepted this position as nonprofit without a dollar. Uh, In fact, I I take that back. She had $1, $1, $1, no promise of anything. And she stepped out and gave her her whole life to it. See, the thing is, is, is that idea of, of, of stripping our lives down into one dollar or no house or selling our car or stepping out away from our job or stepping out into a, in a neighborhood that, that is sketchy and questionable and not what we're used to and reaching out to people that don't understand us and we don't understand them is terrifying to, to many people and it shuts down our hearts. But for some of us, it awakens something inside of us where we got to do something about it. we got the heart of David the heart of David. So that was the first thing that I got out of there. What shuts down the heart of most awakens the heart of a few. Number two, fear is the enemy of advancing God's purpose. Fear is the enemy of advancing God's purpose. And I was looking through this passage, and there's so many indications of fear, and I speak this point a lot from from my own personal experience. Because my greatest fear is failure. My greatest fear is not pleasing everybody. Those are, those are legitimate fears that I have. So it keeps me from doing the things that I need to do because I'm afraid to fail. And you start seeing this, these fears come alive in this passage where it says in verse number 11 of chapter 17, it says, when Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. And they start going through this whole process of day after day, Saul would come, or, or Goliath would come down and, and yell these taunts. And day after day, they'd walk out of the tents going, today's the day. We're going to take care of Goliath today. They'd put their swords on, get their shields on, get their, their armor on, and just, and just talk it up like guys can do. Walk into the battlefield. Today, we're going to take care of Goliath. I'm going to chop off his head. No, I'm going to chop off his head. I'm going to go down there. No, I'm going to go down there. And just build themselves up. And they get there, and what do they do? (laughs) You know, scared to death, can't even walk down into the valley. See, the thing is, they had a lot of talk. And that talk was over action. Nobody was going to act. They were just going to talk. In our churches, there's a lot of talk very little action. We need to plant 20 churches. We need to do this. We need to reach out to those people. We need to walk across the street. We need to, we need to get a group together. We need to go on this mission trip. We need to, to really pour ourselves into this. We need to do this. And just a little bit gets done. Because fear rises up. I don't know how we're going to pay for that. I don't know how we're going to step out and do that. I don't know if I can take that much time away from work. I don't know if my kids, I don't, will my kids survive? Will, will they be impacted by these people? I don't know. I don't know. And, and fear wells up where it just shuts it all down. It's talk over action. Or sometimes it's, sometimes it's circumstance over promise. You see, the promise of God for these people's lives were, these were God's people. God had taken them into the promised land. God was leading them somewhere. God had promised the Messiah through these people. God had promised that these, these were the nation of God. But in verse number 25, it says this. And David's standing there and he says, and somebody looks at David and says, have you seen the giant? Have you seen this guy? And all of their eyes, all of their eyes were on Goliath. He's a giant. It's a big circumstance. It's a big thing. But they couldn't get past that. They couldn't see past this giant. They couldn't see the promise that was beyond the giant. Do you understand? Are you understand what I'm saying? And so many times in our life, we see the circumstance. We see the dollar signs. We see the time commitment. We see this. We see the school, you know, the school district. We see this and that. We see our homes. We see this. We see the vacations. we see, And we can't get past it to the promise that God has for us. And the circumstances start clouding our minds and clouding our judgment and clouding God's plan for our lives. Then you have, they have misdirected anger over focused energy. They were angry with the one that wanted to make a difference. In verse 28, it talks about this. It says, but when David's oldest brother Eliab heard David talking to the man, he was angry. And he started, he started just berating his brother. And Eliab was like, all of his anger was built up. But none of it was released in the right direction. All of it was released towards his brother instead of towards Goliath. You've seen churches do this over the years. I don't know if you've ever been part of a church like this. I've been uh, not part of a church like this, but seen churches like this where they throw hymn books at each other because of the color of the carpet. Anybody ever heard of a church doing anything like that? See, that's misdirected anger. And the the focus of energy is totally wrong. It's against each other. It's disunity. When we as a people should be the most unified people in the world for a common purpose and a common goal. So as we think and we we think about our own lives, we don't need to direct anger at, at, at the wrong things. We need to focus our energy in the right direction and go forward with everything that God's got for us. And then the biggest one for me is the lies over reality. In verse number 28, again, it says, I know your pride and deceit. you just come here to see the battle. David, you're so prideful. You're just so deceitful. You've come here for no other reason than to see what what we're doing here. Just a bunch of lies. And the thing is, is is none of them were based in reality. And what I've learned that, that sometimes the biggest liars in my life aren't other people. They're me. Anybody with me? Sometimes the biggest liar in my life is me. You can't do this. You're a failure. You're a loser. You can't step out there like that. And the worry and the lies start building up to a point where you, that it crushes you and you don't advance God's kingdom. You don't advance his purpose in your life because you believe lies that are have no basis in reality these things probably won't happen probably won't take you know take into effect but you believe they've already been they've already happened so you just stop I'm not gonna go any forward because it could happen it's just like my grandma used to say son you need to be careful going home because you could die you know things like that in other words she wanted me to stay there a little bit longer I was like, Grandma, I live right across the field. I mean, I don't even have to get on the road, you know, to go home, right? But she was always worried about me going anywhere because of the potential for harm. So what did it do? It kind of kept you home, kept you from doing anything. And that's, that's Satan's trick. That's your flesh's trick, just to get you afraid, afraid of what could happen, afraid of what, what might happen when they probably won't. And that's what David was facing. The third thing is this. Is victory doesn't happen when you get on the battlefield. It happens in the wilderness. Victory doesn't happen on the, when you get on the battlefield. It happens in the wilderness. You see, David made sure that he understood or the people understood and he reminded himself that, listen, when he was back in, on the sheep field, that at one point lions and bears would come to attack. They wouldn't come to attack him. They'd come and attack the lambs. And I started realizing something about this. And I've never seen this in this story before. I never understood this part. But the lions and bears came, to, came after the lambs. Lambs are just a little animal. He could have come up with excuses. He could, have, he could have said, you know, whatever. He could have come up with any kind of excuse to his dad and said the lamb was gone. I'm sorry, because a lion took it. But this is the thing. The lions and the bears came after the lambs. Goliath came after the nation and came after God. And you will never be able to stand against the Goliaths that come after the big things in your life until you can take care of the things that attack the little things in your life. You see, there's plenty of things today. There's plenty of things today that will come after us, that will try to destroy the way that we think, that will try to destroy the way that we live, that will try to destroy God's path for us today. And those are all little things. And the things that they're, they're lions and bears. They're, they're scary. They're, they're bad things. But the thing is, what they're coming after is just little. It's just little. But David thought enough, he was faithful enough, when nobody nobody was looking, where he stepped out and he chased down these lions. He would take the lions and the bears down and he would kill them just to get the little thing back, the little lamb back. So when he faced, he saw this Goliath down in this valley, he says, I'm pretty sure I can take care of him. Because every single time, every single time when the lions and the bears came against a little lamb, I did what I was supposed to do. But now that this Goliath is coming against the nation and coming against our God, I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. So today, I don't know where you are and you're thinking, man, it's nothing big attacking my, my family right now. It's nothing big attacking God's purpose for me right now. But the thing is, is every single day, every single moment of every day, there are lions and bears attacking the little things in your life. Attacking the way that you think, attacking your attitude, attacking just the, the, the small conversations that you have with your kids and with, have with your wife or your husband. And the thing is, is is you have to take care of those first. Today is preparation for what God has for you tomorrow. Today is. Teenagers always get this idea, and I've talked to a million of them in the last 15 or 20 years. And they always get this idea of, 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 of greatness and doing something big for God and, and, and just giant, a lot of them have giant pictures, especially when they're growing in their faith, have giant pictures of what God can do. And then you'll ask them, well, are you reading your Bible and praying? I well, know. You'll never get to what God has for you until you can do the little stuff. You've got to, take care of the lions and bears that attack the little before you get to the glass that attack the big. The next thing is this, quickly, your uniqueness that may seem like a weakness is actually God's opportunity to show his strength Your uniqueness that may seem like a weakness is actually God's opportunity to show his strength. Verses 38 through 40 says this, And Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet, and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped a sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into a shepherd's bag. Then, armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. See, this is so unusual. A boy, unarmored, facing a man who is completely armored, a man of war from his youth, walking out with just a sling and a few stones. The thing is, is he tried the armor. He tried the sword and it wasn't him. So he gets what is him and he goes and fights the battle. You see, he was unique. He wasn't like the other warriors. He wasn't like the rest of the army. He was a boy with a sling. And the thing is, is you are unique and God wants to use you. He doesn't want to use you trying to be someone else. He wants to use you told this to the teenagers a couple weeks ago he wants to use you and your quirkiness he wants to use your awkwardness he wants to use your skills or your lack thereof he wants to use your your beautiful voice or your not so beautiful voice He he wants to use everything about you he doesn't want you to try to be somebody else he wants you to be you because he created you to be you and he wants to take you and show his strength through you. A lot of people I found out, this is the same way with me, but a lot of people just are super self-conscious about themselves. They're not confident about what they can do. But the thing is, those are just lies because God has made you exactly the way that you're supposed to be in every way. Your crazy personality has a purpose. Extrovert, introvert, Whatever, young, old, it doesn't matter who you are. God made you exactly the way that you're supposed to be for a purpose that he has for you so he can show his strength through you. So lean into that, lean into that. And then the last thing uh, this morning is this, number five, the giants may be big, but the impact of their fall is even bigger. I love this. I love this because we're scared to go up against the giants, but if we'll just go up against them, if if we'll take them down, You know, Pastor Tim gives this grand vision for the church, but if we'll attack that thing, you know, if we'll attack this church plan thing and go after it with everything that we've got, that giant will fall. And the impact of that will be enormous. David walks out and he slings the stone and he takes down the giant. Thousands of years later. In June of 2017, we're telling the story. And this is what David says, I love this. In ver- he had the vision to see it. In verse number 46, he says, "'Today the Lord will conquer you, "'and I will kill you, and cut off your head, "'and then I will give the dead bodies of your men "'to the birds and wild animals.'" This great picture right there, just picture all that in your mind, It'll make you ready for lunch. And, uh, and he says this, "'And the whole world will know "'that there is a God in Israel, "'and everyone assembled here will know "'that the Lord rescues his people.'" David had the vision where he says, you know what, once this takes place, because it's about to to go down, once this takes place, the entire world will know this story. Everybody here will know who God is. Those Philistines may defy him right now, but in a few minutes, they will not. They will know exactly who God is. The whole world will know who God is. The whole world will know this story. And was he right? He was dead on. See, the giant's big. And if David would have sat back with the rest of his brothers and the rest of the army and never stepped foot, the story would be completely different. And I guarantee you, we probably wouldn't know the story because it would have gone the entirely different way. But David stepping forward, taking down the the giant, changed the narrative. It got the nation on a path of exactly what God wanted them to do. So today, these are the things that I've learned in this this story, and I, I share it with you today. I hope, I hope that you'll look at it again. Go back through it this afternoon or this week and read back through the story of David and Goliath and see what God has for you. But for today, the things that I've shared with you. We need more Davids. We need people that'll say, you know what, this is going to be a sacrifice. This is going to be hard. I may be out here on my own, but, but I'm going to step out. We need people that'll push back fear, whatever that fear is, and step into the purpose that God has for you. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we love you. We thank you, God, uh, for your spirit. And we know that these few points that I shared this morning may not be the thing that that people actually take take away. But Lord, I pray that, that your spirit would just go up and down each and every row whoever watches it online, in the cafe, Lord, I pray, God, that you would just be present. Lord, fear is such a weapon of the enemy. Lord, I pray that you would help us to overcome it. Lord, I pray for the ones in here that that a deep need is sitting out there and they're thinking, man, I really want to do that because I, I think that would that would be the purpose that God has for me. Lord, I pray that their hearts would be awakened, they would be awakened to that and they would go after it with all of their hearts. Lord, I pray the ones that, that think, I'm not good enough, I'm not talented enough. Lord, I pray that they would understand that their uniqueness, the way that God made them, is exactly the way they're supposed to be. And they fit into the purpose that God has for their life. Lord, I pray that you just be here this morning. Lord, we give this time to you. Lord, as we we worship and as we respond, Lord, I pray that fear wouldn't keep people in the pews, that people would commit. Pray, beg you for what you have for them. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet.